Hello there. I'm Pat Spaulding for True Tales Live, and I will be interviewing Dane Peters tonight, one of our storytellers. Uh, he told a, a story about his experience in becoming acquainted with visual arts versus just his love for music, especially through one painter in particular, Vincent van Gogh. And I was particularly interested, Dane, in the information that you shared with us about all of those paintings were done in the last 10 years of his life. Is that, is that what you said? Yeah, that was, he painted from um, 1880 to 1890, when he, from the age of 27 to the age of 37. That's, he's, that's when he started painting, when he was 27, and when he died in 1990, July of 1990. Well, it, 2,100 paintings. That's astounding. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely makes me want to go see A Starry Night. Oh, down. Uh, yeah. It, I think your story enthused us to go travel and look at, at art because this particular story is a story about learning, isn't it? Very much so. Right. Yes. It's at a kind of a late stage of life. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no offense. We're, we're in the same stage. Isn't it great? We're still here? Yeah. Yeah. Decade number seven. Woo! Absolutely. Yes. And um, being very observant about what's coming up next. And, right. and for you, um, sharing your excitement of, about this, this new thing. Like, wow, art, it's, it's way different. I think that you, um, as an educator, that has to feed your storytelling. Um, what was your experience in, in education? I, after I got out of the military in 1975, I um, was looking for a job to teach because I, I was an elementary education major. Um, and uh, in my undergraduate work. And for public school teachers, they just didn't need anybody. I mean, they were just, the market was saturated. And so I bumped into a person, uh, and I can't even remember how, but he was a recruiter for private schools. And I said, well, I've never taught at a private, I've never gone to a private school. And he said, hey, come on up. He was in Worcester, Massachusetts. He invited me up from Connecticut and I sat down with him and he seemed like a really nice guy. And, uh, and this was September. Kind so, of nice and desperate then. Y well, yes. <laughs> he was hoping somebody would call him, but he, he didn't have a particular job in mind. And here oh. I had a one and a half year old at home and my wife and, and I, we just got an apartment in Connecticut and just to find a job. Well, two weeks go by, and he, I get a call from him, and he says, hey, um, I got a job possibility for you. It's in Connecticut, in Washington, Connecticut, and uh, the nurse just quit. I said, I, I can't do nursing. I said, he said, just go. You, you just never know. Well, the next thing I know, I found, because I think this was part of it, and the headmaster of the school so much as admitted that because I was in the Marine Corps, you know, he thought he'd get somebody tough that would take care of a seventh grade girls' dormitory. And this was a school, a boarding school, that boarded 
kindergarten through ninth grade in Connecticut, like the old English model. Kind yeah. Of thing. And thank God I was married with my wife who lived in the apartment that was right next to the dormitory and uh, with these seventh grade girls. I mean, they would have, they were in the process of chewing me up and spitting me out. And they, and on top of that, I was teaching five different classes and coaching three sports. And I was getting $4,500 a year, plus the room and board. But I was happy because I had a job. And as a captain in the Marine Corps, I was making $15,000 and they were taking care of my, my housing. So all of a sudden, but again, I had a job. Well, I stayed there two years and then I went on to another boarding school, a junior boarding school for nine years where I raised my kids. And, and I was learning my craft, uh, teaching, but then also halfway through that job, I went over to the dark side. What does that mean? Administration. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I started and eventually I was the assistant headmaster of this other school. But then after 11 years in boarding school, my kids were growing, had two boys, and uh, I wanted to spend more time with them because, you know, we were working out of 168 hours in a week, you know, you're working probably 150 hours, you know, because you're taking care of the dorm, you're going to the dining hall and doing all that stuff. That's, yeah, that's a lot of school. A lot of school, exactly. A lot of school, but apparently you thrived in oh, education. Oh, loved it, loved the coaching, loved the teaching, loved the kids, just being with kids all the time, and uh, especially in a boarding environment. But then eventually I jumped ship and went to the North Shore of Long Island, and I went to a day school as uh, an assistant headmaster and teacher. Did you do uh, um, Montessori-type school, or was Not that? until I was 54. Oh. And similarly, I, from Long Island, I went back to Connecticut, and I ran a school. I was a headmaster of a school for 11 years. And so at 54, I was looking for another job. The kids were out of the house, and my wife and I were looking for an, another experience, and, and a headhunter comes along, and I wanted to be a head of a school again. And she said, you know, there's a school in Cambridge. It's a Montessori school. And I said, what's Montessori? I mean, I knew it was a lady who was, you know, very reputable back in the early 1900s and had this method. And he said, she said, Oh, just, just go and find out. I mean, you know, you can't lose anything. Same pitch. Yeah. <laughs> well, better than being a nurse, maybe. Or a little bit more qualified. At this exactly. Point. Yeah. But I went, and they took me on a tour of it, and I was blown away. Again, I'm 54. I've had 25 years in the business already. And, and so this is going to be an education for Dane. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, I was starting all over again, and what I saw, so they brought me to what is called a uh, preschool or a primary classroom. And in Montessori, you have three ages in one classroom. So I was in a classroom with three, four, and five-year-olds. So they would stay there for three years. And I looked around in the classroom, and I said, where's the teacher? The kids were busy, industrious, they're very independent, and one of the tenets of a Montes in, in Montessori is it's about being uh, the guide on the side and not the sage on the stage. It's not about the teacher standing up in front of the classroom. The less the kids interact with the teacher, the better. 
because Maria Montessori wanted the child to find out for herself or himself. Right, so um, if it's not feeding that sage on the stage model, how does the storytelling aspect fit into um, the different types of uh, education environments that you've worked in? Because I don't know, I, I kind of think basically when each of us tells stories, we're, we're on a stage, even if it's, we're not literally on a stage, you know, you're listening, telling, and, and you've done a lot of reading of stories, and so how has storytelling, you know, filtered through your various experiences in teaching? It's a great question, and one of the things that when I was going on that tour at, uh, at Cambridge Montessori, I asked the guide, there's no teacher in the classroom. And the guide looked around. Teacher was on the floor working with the child one-on-one. -on -one. But the other 18 kids were busy doing. And then eventually I uh, interviewed at another Montessori school and another one. And I said, this is what I want to do. But what it did is it helped me interact with the ch teach the children through reading books. I was in the classroom as much as I could. But what I developed was the story part of it came was when I started changing voices of ah, the characters yeah. in the books. So like the fish story, there was a fish that just was swimming around in the pond and just wanted to get out of the pond and see life. And all of a sudden, Mr. Cat comes along and says, hey, <laughs> what do you want to do? <laughs> so I'm going back and forth and the children are just like, they're mesmerized. <laughs> And then when I'm Bafo, the mo great motorcycle racer, who's from France, uh -huh, I will tell you how I won the easy great motorcycle race. <laughs> and again, if I read the book, just as it is, you know, the children are there, they're waiting and biding their time. But as soon as you throw in a character, it's like you're telling a story. And it just pulled me in. And I did some of the similar kinds of things when I was say at a faculty meeting or talking to the faculty because I knew that storytelling was what gripped you. That's what captures people. You know, it could be the most brilliant person. I was listening to a person who wrote a very famous book. I won't say it, but it was two years ago. And I was listening to him. And he was a professor at Yale. And he was talking for an hour and a half. Didn't move from the stage. There was no PowerPoint, nothing. And it's like, uh, it was brutal. No, no character voices? No. <laughs> but as soon as you put in a story, and the juxtapose to him was a man, and I'll mention his name, Brian Stevenson, who is an attorney in the South who wrote a book called Just Mercy. It's a fabulous book. And he spoke at a Montessori conference. There were almost 4,000 people in the ballroom. He told one story after another for an hour and a half, no notes. After he was done, he got a standing ovation. It was the longest standing ovation I have ever experienced, so much so that he had tears in his eyes. Mm. It was just, it was powerful, so powerful. And I quote, when I, when I write an, I wrote an article about the experience of listening to Brian Stevenson, and I made reference to a story that he told on the stage that's in his book. Actually, it's on page 184 in his book, Just Mercies, uh, about his experience. Uh, and again, I use this when I'm talking to either boards of, a, uh, boards of uh, 
uh, boards of trustee or uh, to faculty or administrators when I do my teaching. But I was telling the story when he was in eighth grade and he went to a church service and after the service the kids were milling about and there was this one boy who stuttered and his mother was off to the side and he was, the, the child was stuttering and Brian went up to him and started making fun of him. His mother came over to him and said, Brian, you stop that right now. And the kid just respected his mother. And she said, I want you to go over and I want you to hug him and tell him you love him. And he looks, his jaw drops and says, I can't, I can't. Brian, you do it right now. And he went up to the boy and he did that. And the boy was just blown away. And he said, without stuttering, thank you, that's the nicest thing anyone has ever said or done for me. And that just changed Brian right then and there. Well, yeah, storytelling is about a change, yeah. a change that happened. You know, there was the before, and then this happened, and then there's the after conclusion. There's always an arc. Um, so, I really like those voices that you did. <laughs> you know, we're, the next story, we're going to be looking for some character voices from you. Oh, I, Make I, a note. Okay. <laughs> I've got them, too. Um, which leads me to your participation in, currently, in um, the Senior Seacoast Repertory Theater. Yes. And so, that's, you put on plays or stories or what? Yes. How does storytelling work with that, or is there um, an intersection with, with that? Well, it's, it's really, you have scripts. Yeah, and, right. uh, Are they original ones, or are they... No, they're original ones. From the group, or...? No, from uh, some, like, um, they're, they're, they've been performed Right, okay, so before. You, you gather scripts that um, people decide, we're going to put this on. Yeah. Exactly, All right. and we can use scripts for the seniors, because the average age is about 75, and you know we don't do too much memorization. Oh, okay. Um, but last year I did, uh, I was the lead in one of the plays, and I was Bud the Stud. And, uh, <laughs> okay, what was Bud the Stud's voice? Oh, it was a kind of a crotchety a guy that just was, he thought he was everything. And it's like, uh, hey man, if you get to talk to me, babe, you're, you're pretty lucky. Well, I'm believing it. And, there, <laughs> and it was this woman who ran a um, uh, bed and breakfast where he would come in and look through her computer and check out the chicks. And she was sort of this uppity kind of person. And said, Mister, you cannot do that. And you're not to check out the chicks. Get away from there. And one thing leads to another, and, uh, and of course there's Viagra, and of course. all yeah. that stuff going on there. And what senior play would not have that? He wasn't such a stud after all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there are those, and um, we just did a, a play, and it was actually only two people, but there were 16 of us, uh, and it was a man and a woman telling their story. It's called Love Story. Oh, sure. Okay. Nice. It's just two people on the stage, and it's been performed many, many times. Yeah. And uh, we all took turns, either being the male or the female, and it was really 
well done. And we performed it three times and people actually are in the audience. And it's, but the best part though, Pat, is the camaraderie and the getting together and being, you know, being actors. Again, community. Yeah, you exactly. You are involved in lots of community organizations. This one being one, you know, the storytelling feeds community. And um, speaking of that, you're, you're from Greenland. Yes. And you're a reader, an educator, uh, involved in storytelling, books, author. And um, I heard that they're, you're on a library committee now, aren't you, to try to get a new library happening? Yes, in Greenland, a renovation. Okay. And how, politically, we did this in, um, in Rye, where I live uh, sometime in the 90s. Yes. And I feel like the library, for me, and probably for a lot of people, and you feel this too, is, is really the heart of the community. If you're not a churchgoer, if you don't have kids in school, or even if you do, I mean, the library is so important in feeding stories and community. And um, so what's going on with the library and, and getting that in motion? Well, just as an aside, it was the library, the Greenland Library, that uh, one of the, the people who worked there, one of the staff people, were the, was the one who said, have you seen Loving Vincent yet? Really? Okay. So. And I said, I had not seen it. She said, I'll sign you up for the DVD. So that's where we get a lot of our movies from the library. And that's where we get our books from. And just to go and, and they have such a good children's section. And I, I read every Thursday morning to a group of three, four, and five-year-olds. And every Wednesday, I'm at the library and I talk to the librarian. She's fabulous downstairs, the yeah. children's librarian. And she just tells me, what do you need today, Dane? and gets me the books and I get them enough time so that I can figure out what voice I'm going to use for the kids. Oh, that's terrific. Yeah, I did some of that in, um, uh, in Rye for a while, too, telling to the kids. There's great opportunities it's for It's a great story. library, by the way, Rye Library. My wife was on the Friends of the Library in Rye. Uh, she's, she still is. And uh, now she's on the Board of Trustees of the Library in Greenland. And that's how I got commandeered to be on the building committee to help with the renovations that are going on. And it's a wonderful, wonderful, and it, it really is community building. And one of my jobs is to coordinate with the um, elementary school in Greenland mm -hmm. and also the um, school district. And in New Hampshire, the school districts will take up three towns. So for example, the school district number 50 takes in Greenland, Rye, and Newington, and there's a superintendent. So, and the library sits right next to the school, and we coordinate because when the kids you'd be perfect for that. I mean, you you're, um, you are the community guy that you knows know <laughs> well, how schools work and and stories and yeah. And I, I I really love being able to give back to the library and help it, and. Uh, because the, the, the work, the interaction between the school, the elementary school and the library, because they're so close, is so unique and so community building that after school, the children, the older children, will just migrate over to the library mm -hmm. until their parents come and pick them up if they aren't on the bus, let's say. But it is just a beautiful, beautiful community. And coming from Brooklyn, New York, where there are two and a half million people, 
and coming to a town like Greenland, it's an experience that my wife and I have not experienced, and it's, it's just breathtaking. Another organization that I'm a part of, too, is really uh, a beautiful organization, is uh, Seacoast Family Promise mm -hmm. for those families who are in transition. And then another organization is called Gather, and it's a food pantry. It's 200 years old, and it just changed its name. But again, being able to give back to the community in those ways, it's the be-all and end-all as far as I'm concerned, and my wife, too. Well, I'm glad, Dane, that you are <laughs> involved in so many community activities because you're certainly getting lots of stories from your various yes, activities. Yes. But how do you have <laughs> the time to put them together? I hope you continue to do that. Well, you know, I, I got to say, I got to put a plug in for True Tales Live. I mean, it's something that we discovered, that I discovered, and I just love it. And when Amy talked about the workshops and that you were at and David and, and Amy, it's just, it's, it's like a three-credit course as far as I'm concerned because well, I would never want to stand up without pitching an idea or a thought because you get great feedback. Good, and that's a good note to end on because we've just pitched the idea that you too can come and, <laughs> and experience storytelling at a workshop or at, um, on stage here at True Tales Live. I thank you, Dane Peters, for your story and for talking with us. And I'm Pat Spaulding, signing off for True Tales Live. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> You know, I always wonder as I'm watching...